This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today's podcast looks at a second account where God announces a new name to Jacob. Stay tuned for the story. Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenall, and we're bringing you the Planted Podcast. How's it going, Thad? It's going pretty well. I'm scrambling a little bit here. You've got us on a hot topic, and so trying to wrestle with... uh, I mean, at first it seems like it's kind of a narrow topic, but then it gets more broad as you as as you look at it. Right? You can almost um, you can almost start to choke on the amount of data that you have oh, to, to yeah. you know to collect and, and and think that you have to maintain at the same time. But what do you think when it comes down to? I'm just going to start off with a question okay. for you before you go into this because we're we're dealing with the topic of Israel. Yes. Right. So. What do you think you do with your with your thought process when it's speaking of Israel and then it sometimes will deviate to the person of Jacob or the name of Jacob? So we're dealing with um, names of people and of places, right? So how do you focus in on which, like, for example, we're dealing with different entities of, of Israel, if you will, mm-hmm. not entities, but um, – sp- um, there's categories that we're dealing right. with. That's I guess that's where I'm going, yeah. right? Yeah. So you just you just have to kind of try to let the context dictate that. You always, I think, we always need to be tied to the context, um, but the context can always grow. So you have the immediate context, and then you can have the context within a, a greater, might say, the immediate context of a passage. Then you can have the context of an entire narrative, um, and then the the and how that narrative then fits into the whole, um, let's say, in this case, it would be book, you know. Uh, uh, but then, but even here, this this book is part of a, another bigger, you know, kind of context in terms of the, the Pentateuch uh, or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Many scholars would say that that in and of itself is has some self-contained narrative within it as one as one narrative, um, and then you can expand that to. The, the whole of scripture in some senses is one narrative. It's his story, the story right. of history and everything. And so, so the context can then grow, but you always need to try to be true to the immediate context because what it says in the immediate context, you need to figure that out first or you then as you start expanding out, you're going to get some of those things wrong. But, but as you are willing to do that, I think you do need to be able to sometimes expand your category based on as long as, as long as the, you're maintaining some continuity. Um, and do you think it, that continuity that you're speaking of um, is rooted in covenant? Yeah, I think covenant is one of the o- big overarching themes of the Bible. It's, it's really the thing that I would say from a Reformed theology standpoint that that ties everything together um, in, in, in seeing the one big overall biblical narrative uh, in the sense of it's, it's, it's about a relationship with God, but the covenants themselves are the things, when you look at the actual covenants, they are the things or the acts or the lived out things that confirm the promises of God. 
right? So you have God making promises to people or entering into this, but the, the actual covenants that we see in there are the, we could call them the ceremonies or the rituals that actually confirm the promise. And so, um, or that, that we're actually, God is binding himself to the promises that he makes and then calling us to bind ourselves back unto him in those promises. And so what and so we're going to talk about those promises today because as we get into this second passage of of him kind of being named Israel again uh, where God kind of does that he he confirms this naming with a promise. Okay. Um, all right. And so but but we see that throughout throughout all this and that becomes a very important thing because as Christians as as we believe in Jesus we fundamentally believe that he is the confirmation of God's ultimate promise to restore and reunite people unto himself. And all of that is within covenant. And so when Jesus speaks of this and when he, and before he even goes and dies, he uh, establishes the new covenant uh, rite or ritual uh, that goes along with that in the Lord's Supper. And so, um, so yeah, you can't really, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so we have to take covenant seriously, and, and and I think we can see it from Genesis to Revelation, actually. Right, and it, it also, it actually is a very large theme because God is initiating all of these relationships, right. right? Because these people don't seem to be seeking him out, per se. I mean, we're finding that they're serving false gods in, in some of these chapters, right. right? And so God, by his mercy and his, his grace that... Uh, reaches out and pulls them from where they are and says, "You're gonna, you're gonna be mine, and this is how this is right. how this is gonna go." In a sense, yeah. Um, it just people will sometimes say the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, right? Right. But really, I mean, it's all grace. Well, yeah, and and that's what we need to we need to find the biblical evidence that that it is there within that, and so that's that's what I'm hoping to do. And as even as we started with this one particular passage, where, just where Israel is first used, as we're going to see, we need to we need to broaden that out and see how it's used in other places. So, to your original question, is you know, is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a a people? So, I think often um, in the scriptures, most often Israel is especially after you get past Jacob, even though sometimes we'll refer to Jacob, it's referring to a people. Now, sometimes that people exists as a geopolitical nation. Sometimes it doesn't. And so I think that's very important because today when we think of Israel, we think of the geopolitical nation, right. which actually has a place. And when we think about Israel in the scriptures is that sometimes it does have a place, but there are other times it doesn't, but they don't stop being Israel just because they're not living in the land. Right. So I think that's very important to, to consider is that it, Israel is Jacob, so we can say it's a person, we can say Israel is the descendants of Jacob, but is it every descendant of Jacob? That's you know? <laughs> exactly and right. Then, yeah, you know, but, it, but because also Jacob, the same promises we're going to see to Jacob were given to Isaac and Abram, right? And so, is it all of, of Abram? Because there are plenty of of descendants of Abram who who aren't tied to Jacob at all. You know what's going on there? What's going on later with even Jacob's sons? who have sons, and their sons have sons, and so forth. What about even later on, we're not going to get this today, but we have all these stories of foreigners who are coming in and become part of Israel. Right. You know? And so, yeah, so it really, you need to, we need to be able to dive in and see what, you know, what the context is, but then later on, especially when we look to the New Testament, you know, who 
who is Israel in the two, in the New Testament writer's eyes? Right. So if we go back and quick review, um, Jacob wrestles with this man, it says. Mm-hmm. And then later on in um, chapter 32, he names the place where the wrestling um, took hand as Peniel, which is literally the face of God. So we, we have a distinguishing factor that the whatever he wrestled with was either representing God or was or was God himself in a right. in a theophany type sense. Right. So there's there's texts like these that help distinguish from us because there's false gods as well you know interlaced throughout some of this, right? Yeah. This, this is what God is pulling them out of. Right. Yeah. And so I mean one of the questions would be are there other gods in these places? I even brought up last time the Canaanite story of of the God that's protecting people from crossing the the fjord of the river, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this belief that I don't know if we fully got there last time, but that the belief that something happened at night, that when once night that they were stronger at night, but once daylight came, the the demon would lose its power, or the God, we you know we right. the small g God would lose its power, and so forth. And so um, it's interesting that you know in this in this account that it is. Um, in verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed, you know, limping on his hip. That, that, that you know, that basically it's all resolved before sunrise. Right. <laughs> you know? But, but, but we're not, we're not saying that, you know, Yahweh is, is tied to that. But the point is, is that there are these similarities. And so are these similarities there to help see that, you know, Yahweh's the true person, the, the true God that we need to be concerned about, not these, not these other ones. And he actually acts in different ways. In, the, in in these things, you know the same thing when it comes to to Bethel, which is going to come up here in the in the scripture again. And we saw that last week that that was a place where um, he had the vision of the stairway to heaven. God met him there. He called that place the house of God. But there was there was a ancient Near Eastern god called Bethel. Um, and so did it was it like worshipped in this place? Was it from somewhere else? Was it just is it just kind of a a common name in terms of, you know, the house of a God or the mm-hmm. God of, ha- you know, and so forth. So, it, yeah, all to say is that, you know, it's hard for me to get into that ancient Near Eastern mindset and understand fully what's going on there. But I want to try. I want to I want to make connections I want to see because um, Old Testament narrative is is often very dense. There's a lot of stuff going on that, that we don't always catch, um, but we need to maybe sometimes slow down and take the time to do that. So if if any of you have listened to our some of our previous seasons and podcasts, and you listen to our podcasts that Thad and I had with our sons, the importance of geography in the scriptures, and that you know um, we talked about how like if if we talk about here in Michigan, you know going up north, uh, we know what that means. That means that okay, there's going to be a lot of lakes up there. That's where people go to vacation to get away. You know the people do hunting a lot of. You know, we know when we talk about going up north, it has a certain connotation to it. Mm-hmm. And given the context of the conversation, you know, if I'm saying going up north this weekend, you have a pretty good sense of I, I'm going to get away and relax, right? Um, and so, uh, but if you're not from Michigan, you don't know what going up north for the weekend means necessarily, right? Um, uh, but because but we know we don't have to go look that up in a dictionary. Well, I didn't live in this period of of, of history in this particular part of the world, and so when you know I don't necessarily always catch what Shechem is or what what Bethel is or those things. And sometimes it's good to look them up because actually here in the early part of this of 
of the scriptures here in Genesis, that's being established, and what happens there matters. And so what happens here at Jabbok matters, not necessarily just because of the place, but because of what took place there. That's where Jacob wrestled with God. You know, the same thing at Bethel. That's where he had the, the dream and the vision, and then he promised to come back there and worship God again after he went away to to find a wife. You know, so this was on, the first time he goes to Bethel, it's on his way to Paddan Aram, which is up in Haran, which is where Abram came from, where he still has family up there. It's where Isaac went to get a wife, and now it's where Jacob's mom sends him to get a wife, right? right? And yeah. he actually comes back with two, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, after 14 years. <laughs> and so, but but he promised to come, he promised at Bethel when he had the dream of Stairway to Heaven that he would come back and worship God there. And now here we have, in what we're going to look at today in, in chapter 35, is we have Jacob um, fulfilling that promise. Just as God's making promises to him, Jacob made a promise to him, and he's going to come back. So he's come back. He had he wrestled with God, right? Um, and we have that. We, we looked last week with the, the name of Israel means to strive um, or God strives. Um, but we ask, is it, is it God striving with? Is it man striving against? Because in that, in chapter 32, it says that Jacob strived with God and men, or he struggles or wrestled with men and with God. And so it's like, oh, so what is it? Is it about the people wrestling and striving with God? Is it about God striving with them, or is it is it about them striving together? Right, yeah. right. And how God maybe accomplishes his purposes right. through Jacob in this case. Exactly. And so yeah. we, so I kind of leaned a little bit towards, let's thinking about this, doing this together, God in his grace and his mercy, in the fact that he allows Jacob to live through this, right? And come outside with, with just a limp, you know, as a reminder that, that God's with him. So thinking that in mind, what's, um, you know, why... Why does this? Why does he need to name him again? What's the whole point of this going through this again? So that's something we can ask here in chapter thirty-five. But did you have something before we got there? No, not at all. I just okay. um, as we are. So are you going to go right into chapter thirty-five then and, and take a look at it? Uh, yeah, probably, let's okay. just real quickly. What happens between the wrestling with God and coming to Bethel is he meets Esau and everything works out right. So right. He, so part of that whole thing is he was he was fearful of how that meeting would go and part of that wrestling with God was just assuring him too that that was going to go well as well as as other things but uh so that does it goes well they they part just fine and and so in um verse 15 of chapter 33 Esau said let me leave you with some of the people who are with me let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And so Esau, where once he had cursed Jacob, now he's blessing Jacob. And so he, he gets back in on the blessing, <laughs> you know, part of things uh, with Jacob. And so Jacob journeys on south uh, back to the city of Shechem. And, and remember, the city of Shechem, that's the first place where uh, Abram stops in the land of Canaan. And so we I think we mentioned last week how we see Isaac and Jacob repeating a lot of what Abram had done. So we're just seeing this tying together. So again, he comes back to Shechem. But this time when he comes to Shechem, we have this kind of weirdly strange and not so good event where um, a man named Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, ends up raping Jacob's daughter Dinah. And then um, his two sons, Levi and Simeon, I think, decide to um, kind of get revenge. And they do it through... Entering, we were talking about covenant earlier, right? So they, so they, this was a practice among peoples. You know, you enter into a covenant with each other in order to be able to trade goods and not war with each other and establish some trust. And so, uh, 
They decide to enter into covenant, and they do it through circumcision, which is the the way that uh, you know God entered into covenant with Abram. And you know this this act of circumcision is supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to be a way to invite people into relationship with God. But what they do is they twist it and turn it around as a way to be in relationship with the people, and and they those people think, no, we're not entering into covenant with Yahweh or his people. They're entering into it with us so that we can get stuff from them. Right. We can trade in so that so that so that their um their son Shechem can get the wife that he wants, you know, along with trade and animals and everything else. Right. right? And there's and, a little bit of a setup going on here. Oh yeah. 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 So the the, the the scheming is, you know, here we have sons of the schemer, right? The deceiver. They 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 get him to, to get circumcised, and so after the second day, when they're all sore and pain, they come in there and kill everybody and get their revenge, right? And so, uh, and that that upsets Jacob. He's not happy with what they did, and we were left at the end of the chapter with this very interesting statement: "said Should he treat our sister like a prostitute?" Mm-hmm. Which is like, hmm, you know, there's something, you know, there's some acknowledgement that there was an injustice here that needed to be dealt with, but at the same time, the way that um, Simeon and, Le- Simeon and Levi went about this was, um, and God used it, but it still wasn't proper. It still wasn't right. And we'll see that later on that this is going to cost them um, in terms of the, the, the blessing is not going to, the, the blessing of the, the promised seed is not going to come through, through either of those guys. But it's very interesting that all this is taking place in Shechem, okay, which is, you know, a part of it's a very significant place when it comes to getting possession of the land or being in being in the land of promise, right? Because Abram stops here first, they're here, and instead of um, being at peace with the people in the land or or whatever, there's there's, there's more striving, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Jacob's yeah. word. He's now going to be a marked man, yeah. against all these, yeah. So yeah, right. Um, and so uh, from there, we we go on down to. Uh, he, he keeps traveling. He, he wants to keep his promise and come to Bethel. And so uh, he, he goes uh, there. And, but before he goes, before they leave Shechem, he says to his household, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us rise up and go to Bethel so that I may make an altar there to God who answers me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. That's very important. That I've been, who's been with me wherever I've gone. So that whole idea of being with them, you know, is is, a, is another big theme that comes here, and especially in, which I think relates to the covenant as well. So they gave to Jacob all their foreign gods and their that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think's happened? What thing's going on here? Because wasn't when, when earlier when he had trouble with Laban? It was because his wife had, you know, had taken gods with her, you know, and that caused strife. You know, how, how are the gods still with them? What's going on here? Yeah, I think, you know, as you drop back a few chapters, like you said, the culture that they're being pulled from is one that's serving false gods, not the one true God, right. Yahweh. And um, so there's there's steps to purging all of that right right and it begins with jacob of course yeah and now as we move through this now jacob is now speaking specifically to the very fact is you know we need to we need to give up all of these false right. and foreign gods yeah. which is interesting because uh, we're not just talking about idols 
right. you know, little um, trinkets of stuff, right? They're, they actually represent, you know, powers and entities that right. we would talk right. about. And so right. there's going to be, no, you're going to now serve the one true God and... This is uh this is where this is being set up from. So yeah, it takes it takes some time to purge that out of right. a, a lot of people. Right. And it's very interesting that you know after he wrestles with God, he was headed to Bethel, but they stopped in Shechem. I think about when when God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He he travels up to Haran and he stops there, right before going on down into the into the Promised Land. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is he stopping at Shechem again? You know, and then what? And what happens when they're in Shechem? They get intermixed with all the, with with this, you know, with this uh, Shechem and the, the the Canaanites that live in the land there, right? And they have trouble with them. And it seems if they had put their gods away after the Laban incident, like they were supposed to, they picked up other gods here in Shechem. So I don't know how long <laughs> they were in Shechem. But however long was there, while they're there, and there's all this stuff going on with Dinah and, and Simeon and Levi and stuff. All of a sudden, they've they've got more god they've got more gods and, and earrings and stuff, and it's like, what you know, it just says something about humanity, right? It really does. And, the, yeah. and his family, you know, when we when we don't fully obey God, often when we don't continue on what we're supposed to do, and we stop and we kind of drag our feet, you know, often that dragging of our feet can lead to sin, <laughs> you know, and, le- and and we get pulled in by the world. And I wonder, it doesn't say that's what happened here, but, but I'm just like, how did they get more gods again? Well, when Jacob first goes into Shechem, he sets up the altar. Yeah. And it says he sets up the altar to the God, the yeah. God of Israel, right? Yeah. So there's a distingu- distinguishing <laughs> factor that's going on here. Um, and yeah. again, all of it is a, uh, again, a refining to serve the one true God. And as we see, as time always goes on with Israel or even with us, our tendency is kind of to leave that yeah. <laughs> that one true thing and go serve ourselves. Right. I think it's important to read that. So this is back up in 33, starting in verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, and on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, that's the people they have this trouble with, he brought for a he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. That's God, the God of Israel. Um, and and so I think, and, and I'll, I don't know if you remember this, but what I'm remembering, I think this is the piece of land where he comes back and gets buried at the end of, G- of Genesis. Right, oh, this is the plot of it. land. And I think in the terms of having possession of the land, the promised land, this is the only piece of property, right, that he will ever possess, really. Well, that's interesting in considering all the, the land promises yeah, that we, that yeah. we try it's, to step It's on. this piece of land right here that is the only piece of land he ever really gets, which we will relate to Hebrews if we ever get there. <laughs> but but you know, but that's yeah. very interesting that that's there. So we don't know how that long they were in Shechem, but like you said, the whole point was it was to worship the God of Israel. Yet they leave Shechem with with gods. Uh, well, but, well, before they leave, he says, "Put them all away." So, so anyway, as he leaves, and when he gets to Bethel, it says. Um, so this is chapter thirty-five. So chapter thirty-five, verse, verse five, and they journeyed to terror from God fell on the cities that were around them. So God's protecting them. Was what it's saying right there. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Even after all, they so that would be the surrounding peoples who would have heard what Simeon and Levi did to um, 
to Shechem and, and, and that whole tribe or mm-hmm. family or whatever, uh, you would think, oh, you know, let's go get these people. But they don't. Um, and so Jacob came to Lutz or Luz, that is Bethel. Okay, so in this time it's called L-U-Z, Lutz, uh, but he's saying that is Bethel. And so that's, that's what it later became known as, okay, ap, you know, mm-hmm. through all this. Okay. Um, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him from he fled uh, from when he fled his brother. Now, that's very interesting. Again, just like before, you had the El, Elo, Hel, Israel up in there. Yeah, because Bethel means house of God. Yeah, so why is it God, house of God? <laughs> yeah. You know? And so is it establishing here that this is the house of God for Yahweh? Jacob's God, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. It, it's um, interesting. But it, but it says, because there God had revealed himself to him where he fled from his brother. So it's referring back to the previous story about the stairway to heaven and all that stuff. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called his name Alan Bakuth, which is um, Oak of Weeping. So, but here... And it's interesting, too, which is a whole other topic, and I encourage you, if, if you want to know more about this, the um, uh, Bible Project guys did a whole podcast season on the significance of trees. Um, and so it's often that trees become sites where there's worship that takes place uh, and things where sometimes these theophanies or God appears, mm. right? And so here, you know, if we think back to the garden and the two trees and, and all that, sure. but here God appeared at, it seems to be at this tree, God appeared to Jacob once again at Bethel here near this tree, I guess, when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, verse 10, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. All right, now before I keep going on, we already knew this, right? This happened back, you know, at Jabbok. Why, why, why do it again, and why here? Yeah, I mean, do you want me to try to stab? No, you don't, you don't have to yet. I mean, I, that's, that should be a natural question, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it is it because it's, it's not a retelling of the same account? No, it's a different it's a yeah. different time. So, and he doesn't mention the whole wrestling thing at all, right? Which was the very significant in why Israel. You would think why Israel became the name because he wrestled with God, right? right. Yeah, and just, so, he so here didn't we even are. Just, just in case you didn't understand me the first time, right? This is right, and, and he could also be making this prominent for the surrounding community. Right. Yes, and what we see next is it becomes tied to this promise um, that, that's coming up, which is related back to the promises to Abram and oh. Isaac. Okay, and so I think there's that, but and some I've, I've read some commentators who wonder if taking if putting in this context is is putting a more positive spin on the name Israel, you know, in that sense um, of more the. St- God striving alongside because it's you know the whole mention of the wrestling isn't taking place. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to consider on why it needs to happen again and why here and what comes with it. So let's read what comes with it. And God said to him, "I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you." 
Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. And so in setting up this pillar and doing, he pours out these, these offerings, it's a it's a place of worship, right? So we see him, he's worshiping God there and acknowledging what God has done. So jumping back to the promise, um, he calls himself God Almighty. It says, be fruitful and multiply. And so um, if we just quickly, if we go back to Genesis 28, before Jacob leaves and his you know, mom tells him to go get a wife, Jake, um, Isaac confirms this, okay? And so when, when Isaac confirms it at Genesis 28, if I can get there, he says, Arise, go to Padanarim to the house of, Beth, of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Verse 3, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Now this is, Isaac speaking. It's not God speaking. It's Isaac speaking. But he's telling him this. And then it says that you may become a company of peoples, or it could be a multitude of peoples, okay? And may he give the blessing of Abram to you and to your offspring with you. And so we see that here Isaac is tying it to the blessing of Abraham, which had been tied to him. He's tying it to Jacob. And so we're going we're gonna to go back to that. But before we do, uh, I want to deal with the be fruitful and multiply, because that's what um, that's the language Isaac uses here, and that's what get the same language God uses um, in Genesis 35 when he re, when he emphas- when he re renames him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we sh- I mean bells should be going off on our heads in terms of where we first know that occurs in the Bible, right? Well, I was at first going to say that takes place in the garden, yeah, but it also takes place with Noah. It does. It takes place, yeah, both places, right? Yeah, yeah. But first, it would be, I would say, you know, Adam yeah. precedes Noah, but in both places, right? Yeah. And so we have we have the first creation account, and in one sense, you could say that in the, the, this um, renewed, you know, creation after the flood account, we have the same thing again, right? But in this, it is, it's in the form of a command. So if we go, if we go to Genesis one. Right, um, and read it. It, it. He says, "Be fruitful and multiply." So we, it's it's like a command. It's it's a, something to go do. But what does he say in verse twenty eight of chapter one before that? Oh, says, you, and you know, God, I'm sorry, you were talking about from from chapter twenty eight, Genesis one, chapter did, tw- verse oh, twenty eight. Oh, you were you were before talking. that. He says, "And God blessed them." Right. Yeah. That. So there, you, you see this consistency. Right. In God's pattern, right? Yeah. And uh, what the blessings are that the fathers are given to the sons right. is really an acknowledgement of the of the promise of God. It is. And that's where even, you know, uh, I, I would say that, and other theologians w- would say this, I'm not original or I didn't get it from myself, is that is Genesis 1, even though there is no mention of berit, which is the Hebrew word for covenant, you know, there, there's no mention of a formal covenant. Is this is this taking a sense of covenant format in some senses because God's blessing, you know, and, and it's, it's out of this blessing, it's out of this grace 
given by God that then they are to go do what they're to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just interesting to think about that there's a tie. You can't look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, and then the whole nation of Israel without seeing the tie back to Adam. It's interesting because when this first blessing comes in Genesis 1, I'm thinking that they are already living in covenant with God because it hasn't been breached yet. Hmm. But when all these other accounts were kind of directs towards the terminology of covenant, God is um, reestablishing or uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? He is uh, bringing back in or entering back into a covenant of what had been breached through the fall and through right. disobedience of particular people along the way. Right. So maybe that's why it, it, it doesn't say it in, in chapter one. I'm just trying to speculate a little bit here. Cause, yeah. Because it sure sounds covenantal language. Yeah. And it, it, it comes with, um, you know, this command of what to do it be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth mm-hmm. and subdue it. So to be full of, fill the earth, is there a land? I don't know if, 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 if I won't use the word promise here, but is the land in essence tied to the being fruitful and multiplying? Of course there is, right? Yeah, they it's, need it's a place a whole, to live. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it might be their own little microcosm, but it basically says fill the earth. So you, you can almost take that and total as the, the, the whole world, right? Yeah. And I, I think that also might give us some clues as we look at the promises to Abraham in the land um, that the, the promise was not only to him, but that he would bless the families of the world. I mean, yeah. right. It's to go out into the whole, whole earth. There's, there's an extension to the, the New Jersey side right. piece of property that we talk <laughs> about as Israel. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, it's the subdue it have dominion that there's a ruling, you know, and there's all, all this other stuff to go along with this, but um, there's so much, and maybe we'll spend, maybe we'll spend a whole episode on, on just getting back to Genesis and, and what's the whole purpose of the land and subduing and the, the way God's ordering it and things. But but I just want to, you can't escape the fact that that's, that language is there and the, the similar language was used for Adam of, of filling the earth uh, as well. And so, and if we think of domin- the subduing and dominion, if we think of that as an extension of blessing, often we hear that language in a fallen world today and we think of it as negative. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, especially here in America, I don't want to have a king ruling over me. You know, I'm, we rule ourselves. You know, we're about self-rule. Uh, but so we think of words like subduing and dominion as oppressive, you know, in some ways. But it's not the intent, right? It's actually God in, in Genesis 1 is bringing order out of chaos and he's he's establishing his rule, and in and through his rule, things are to thrive, right? And so, if 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 Adam's doing his job, if Adam and Eve are doing their job in being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, they're subduing and and exercising dominion is actually a bless is a is a continuation of the blessing, right, right? Right. And in the same way, then if we think about that, then this uh, promise to Jacob, if we get back to Genesis thirty five, that that he. When he is said to be king, out of him kings and things will come. That again, this all should be, I think, looked at in view of the blessing of being in covenant with God, right? 
And so all of this is supposed to be not just for the good of Jacob and his family, but for others, because he says, a nation and a company of nations shall come for you. So a nation, a nation for you, but also a, a company or a multitude is another, is another way to talk about that. Sure. It shall come to you. And kings shall come from your own body. Right. And again, think of king in the most positive way. Right. You know? First of all, because we're dealing, um, when God is speaking of kings, he's also um, including that suzerain-vassal relationship with him mm-hmm. as the primary, right? As the suzerain, right. which is of, of, of the king of righteousness. Right. And so that's how these are to rule as well with that in mind. So when you take that, that you can you can eliminate that suppressive attitude from yeah, that, right? Right. And so verse three, verse twelve, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Um, and so we wanted to start with Jacob because he's the one's named Israel, and Israel, the nation of Israel, gets its name from Jacob, right? And we'll look forward ahead to that as we go on, but. Really, to understand this, we're going to have to spend some time going back to Abram and, uh, and understanding him. Because, uh, because, you know, Isaac and Jacob, as we were just kind of repeating some of Abraham's old journeys, you know, in this land. And the, and the question we need to ask is, why does God need Abram? How did we get from Adam to Abram? Uh, what's going on in that? Because that will help us, I think, understand why this this language is used. Why why does it need to be a, a multitude of nations? Uh, what's God's plan in all of this? Uh, and then and then if we understand that, then I think we'll understand the role of the land in some of that too, which you start have already alluded to in terms of of you know having it being is it more than just this piece of land that that's the size of New Jersey, right? Is there is there bigger stuff going on here? I think we can see that, but in order to see that, we need to see why he calls Abram. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can really understand God's purpose for Israel unless we understand why he calls Abram. Uh, so well, I think yeah, that yeah, we'll, and, and it's automatically taking us back there because he refers back to the land that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. So we have to go back to the root exactly. to find out what he's saying there. Exactly. So is that our intention for next? That's our intention for next time. So I know this seems like we're moving slow, but it's intentionally slow because we need to make sure we're dealing with context in the right way. We're, we're dealing with things. So we wanted to start where Israel starts, but it really doesn't start here. Uh, the name starts here. The term is starts here, but it really... It really started back before, uh, and so we need to go back and figure that out. Yeah, because when we go to the New Testament, um, when the Pharisees are having some of their arguments with Jesus, um, they are dealing with um, the terms of being Abraham's children, right? Right. They don't say we're Israel's children, right? So our so, father Abraham, <laughs> our right? father Abraham, and and and, and very interestingly, uh, Jesus seems to claim they have a different father. A different father, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All to be concluded. Yeah. Okay, great. So right. next time we'll deal with Abraham. Yep. Thanks. All right. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Next time, we will go back in time to explore the promises made to Abraham as a forerunner to Israel. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.